This is the emdocs.net podcast with Britt Long and Manny Singh. We bring you high-yield content about what you're seeing every day in the ED. Today on the emdocs.net podcast, we have the stellar Rachel Bridwell back. Rachel, always great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me back, Britt. We're going to do something different with today's podcast. Rachel and I are going to talk through a couple challenging cases that we've seen and cover some important lessons from these patients. Do you want to get started with one of your cases? Absolutely. Let's get to it. This first case is a priority one coming by EMS. It's a 42-year-old male. His GCS is 3, heart rate is 190, and his blood pressure is 90 over 48. They've given him 500 cc's of IV fluids. On arrival, his GCS is 3, his heart rate is 190, and it's a steady 190, not changing. The first temp is also 105 degrees Fahrenheit. He's breathing, he has normal breath sounds, warm extremities, and bounding pulses. EMS says that he was found in the back of a garage. It was well over 110 in the garage. There was also some question of illicit drug use. Our rock star nurses start bilateral IVs, we bolus some fluids, and then we get cefepime and vank started. When we look at the monitor, the rhythm looks just like SVT. An ECG shows definite SVT at 190. His blood pressure is a little bit soft, so we decide to cardiovert. His blood pressure improves a bit to 102 over 58. His heart rate is now 120 to 130, and it's sinus tack. He's still a solid GCS of 3, though. At that point, we decide to intubate with etomidate and rocuronium. His airway is straightforward, and we have propofol going for sedation. The problem is that his temperature is now 106. And at this point, it's time to do a quick evaluation of where we've been and where we still need to go. His ABCs are done. I've done a good head-to-toe exam. I didn't find anything actionable. We have fluids, antibiotics going, but we have to get him cooled. We place a cooling blanket. We get ice in the groin, the axilla, but the temp keeps going up. It's now 107. So at that point, I'm running through the differential in my head. There's no clonus. He's diaphoretic. There's no apparent source of infection on my exam. I'm thinking hyperthermia and heat stroke. I need to find some way to get this guy cool. The only thing I could think of is putting him in a body bag and then put him with that body bag in another bag and place ice in between the two separate body bags. It's essentially immersion. I have to get his temperature down. Britt, this is an awesome case, and you're absolutely dead on. You need to cool this patient quickly and expediently. I know that when we see that initial rhythm, it's an easy inclination to jump straight to any cardiac etiology. But it's important that we keep our differential nice and wide and consider why is this patient's temp 107. This has exceeded the thermostat of the hypothalamus, so now we are into pathologic hyperpyrexia. So we have to think about thyroid storm, thalamic stroke, exertional and classic heat stroke, serotonin syndrome, which were you were addressing. 
neuroleptic malignant syndrome, sympathomimetic toxicity, and anticholinergics. Absolutely. That differential for hyperpyrexia is crucial. Make sure you run through this, but you have to cool that patient rapidly. The longer the temperature stays elevated, the worse the end organ damage and that risk of mortality. Just make sure to stop the cooling at around 102. The other major component here that we briefly touched on is sepsis is still on that differential. It's never a wrong answer to start antibiotics in this type of patient. The ICU can always stop them later. So that was the case. Ultimately, the patient had a combination of sympathomimetic intoxication with severe heat stroke. The major takeaways, start with the ABCs, get antibiotics and fluids on board, but you have to get the patient cooled. Well, Britt, do I have a case for you? Hit me with it. So we had a 40-year-old female with no past medical history and no social history who presented to the ER feeling generally unwell but had no specific complaints with really a wildly bland review of systems. On exam, she was febrile, tachycardic, hypotensive, and tachypnic, but her oropharynx was unremarkable, her lungs were clear, her abdomen was soft and non-tender, she had no meningismus or nuchal rigidity, no rash, and no vaginal discharge. Despite her super non-focal physical exam, her labs showed that she was sick. She had a leukocytosis in the 20,000s with a 10% bandemia, acute renal failure with electrolyte derangements, elevated liver-associated enzymes, and a lactate of 8. But her chest x-ray was clear, her UA was completely negative, no blood, no casts. She did get empiric antibiotics up front with vancomycin and a 2-liter fluid bolus, but she kept getting sicker and sicker and got started on pressors. Yikes. Bunch of end-organ injury. It sounds like you're running through some potential sources. At this point, what was on your differential? Honestly, I was worried about infectious items that cause hypotension, but don't have an impressive physical exam and are tricky. So infectious endocarditis, CNS infection or abscess, necrotizing fasciitis, toxic shock, obstructive pylo, some wacky tox etiology that I hadn't yet considered, TTP anaphylaxis with primarily hemodynamic effects and another symptom that we hadn't seen, or another septic thromboembolic phenomenon I hadn't yet considered. You're hitting all the key things on that differential. Obviously, you have to think distributive like sepsis, cardiogenic shock, obstructive, tox or metabolic, also hypovolemic shock. I also like to think about conditions where the patient is not responding to vasopressors. There is a differential for that. That's acidosis, endocrine issues like adrenal insufficiency or some sort of thyroid disease, hypocalcemia, also anaphylaxis. The patient could also have another cause of shock. It could be sepsis plus cardiogenic shock, or sepsis plus severe acidosis, or obstructive shock. While I'm doing all of this, I'm also searching for any clue using my history and exam. You have to get as much history as you can. Do the head-to-toe exam, look at their skin, just like you did, but this is where ultrasound can really shine with a rush exam. What happened next? Oh, Britt, we were in a rush all right. I put in a central line to get the pressors running. It was 2018, so there was a lower acceptance of peripheral vasopressor initiation 
and we found a hyperdynamic precordium, a very collapsible IVC, but no evidence of AAA DVT or pleural effusions or pulmonary edema. After that, she went off to the CT and we found a completely occlusive right ureteral stone with horrendous pyelonephritis behind it. At this point, she got an A-line and was too unstable for cystoscopy, so we called IR. She was tiring out, so we intubated her prior to IR for her percutaneous nephrostomy. She did well in the STICU and really recovered pretty uneventfully. But I've seen a couple of these obstructive pylo patients, and they start out with their clinical course of variable stability, kind of depending on their previous comorbidities. And then as soon as that stone is displaced, they get insanely hemodynamically unstable. Definitely have vasopressors ready and running in preparation for that hemodynamic decompensation that's really about to ensue. Wow, great case. There is literature on this type of issue. A 2016 study published in the American Journal of Emergency Medicine titled Urinary Obstruction is an important complicating factor in patients with septic shock due to urinary infection by Rainer et al. found that about 1 in 10 patients who present with septic shock due to a urinary source had an anatomic urinary obstruction. The patients with obstruction had much higher mortality rates, 27% versus 11% in patients without an anatomic obstruction. That's an absolute difference in mortality of 16%. You did the best thing you could have here by talking to IR because you have to find some way to relieve that obstruction. I think the major takeaways from this case are first, get those vasopressors, those antibiotics on board as soon as you can. Second you need to have an approach to that sick patient. Look for that source. Third, be wary of those patients with an anatomic urinary obstruction, especially if they're septic. And finally, speak with your consultants, IR, urology, and critical care. All right, folks, we're going to break this up into two separate segments, and this is the end of part one. Today, we looked at hyperthermia and cooling, as well as an anatomic urinary obstruction with septic shock. Stay tuned for part two, where we discuss two more challenging cases. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. 